continuing our sermon on Christmas. And after this week, I think we need to refocus. I think we need to look back at what exactly is going on. I said today, no more Grinches. You know, I'm tired of people trying to take away the joy of Christmas. Amen? Oh, hello. I just said, I'm tired of people taking away the joy of Christmas, and y'all better say something. That's what I thought you said the first time. Okay, what is a Grinch? You know what a Grinch is? Now, my dad was a Grinch. My dad didn't believe in Christmas. He didn't like trees. He didn't like decorations. He would go buy humbug on everything, but he was just kidding. See, he was just kidding. There are some real Grinches in our society. You might think of the people who go out there and they, they decry all the things that have happened in Connecticut. They talk about the tragedy there, yet on their cars that they drive to meetings to talk about the, the ruthless killing of young children. They have bumper stickers that say, support a woman's right to choose, which means we should support legal execution as opposed to illegal execution of our children. That seems like a contradiction in terms to me. That's a Grinch. But the two greatest Grinches, the two most terrible Grinches this time of year are doubt and fear. Many people in this country and around the world live at Christmas time in doubt and fear. One of the reasons for going to passages is to settle your doubts. One of the reasons for going there is to say, you know what, I can trust the word of God. I can trust its translation. I can trust its origin. I can trust its authenticity. If you've been to passages, there is no doubt that the word of God is indeed the word of God. And the word of God we have today is exactly the word of God they had then. Dead Sea Scrolls bear out that the the Old Testament has not changed in 3,500 years. Guess what? The New Testament hasn't changed in 2,000 years. Since it was written down in Greek, except for the book of Matthew, which was written in Hebrew, then translated into Greek, those books have not changed since they were written in the first century. You believe that, church? Do you know that that's true? I want to take you to two people who struggled with the Grinches of Christmas. Two people who suffered with a decision in life. First one, Matthew 1, 18 through 25. If you're going to beat the Grinches, you've got to have faith in God's plan. This week, what happened in, in Connecticut has made many wishy-washy, church-going people doubt the goodness of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, and the sovereignty of God. Well, if you doubt those things today, when you walk out the back door, you're not going to doubt it anymore. Take a look at this right here. Matthew 1, 18 through 25. The birth of Jesus Christ came about in this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man, a holy man, a just man, and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is by the Holy Spirit. You hang on to those last few words. This is the thing at Christmas time that gets me. Everybody wants to take away the miracle of the conception of Jesus Christ. Now let me take you back. 
There's a reason why Joseph doesn't want to subject Mary to public scrutiny. What was the punishment in Israel for a woman who was engaged, not married? Now remember, engagements in Israel were anywhere from 10 to 12 months. During the time of an engagement, a man and a woman were legally bound together. They were responsible to each other, yet they had no right to come together and consummate their marriage. We're going to be politically correct today and stick with that word. They had no right to consummate their marriage because the nuptials, the process of getting married, required 10 to, four, to 12 months. 10 to 12 months. So during that time, Joseph was responsible for everything Mary did. Mary was responsible to Joseph, but they could not be together. Let me show you what the punishments could be. Had you been in Egypt and you had cheated on your husband, it was punishable by cutting off the nose of the adulteress so that every woman looking upon her disfigured face would know that her heart was equally disfigured. Now, that was only in Egypt. If you were in Persia, ladies, get this one. In Persia, not just your nose was cut off, but your ears as well. Persian culture put a great deal of emphasis on a woman's physical beauty, especially the wearing of ear and nose rings. If you ain't got a nose and you ain't got no ears, you ain't got no beauty. Now, don't you feel blessed that you don't live in Persia right now? That's a great, it's a great deal right there. I'm telling you the truth. Now, in Judea, it was a little different. They didn't cut off your nose. They didn't even cut off your ears. They just flat up killed you. They drug you to a public place and you were stoned to death. When your adultery was confirmed, you were killed before the entire congregation of the people because you had brought dishonor not just to your husband or wife. This was supposed to happen to the man, too. Guys, you're not off the hook. This was a sin against the entire community of God's people. Now, this is what would have happened to Mary if Joseph let it be known that she was pregnant and it wasn't his. Now, naturally, if she was beginning to show and they were engaged, people would naturally assume that Joseph had just lost his control. Here we have a 14 to 16-year-old young girl, a 14 to 16, maybe 18-year-old boy. <laughs> we know what boys are like, don't we? Ladies, boys are evil. Just remember that. When you have a 14-year-old daughter, this is the law of the land. Anyways, I'm just saying you know I'm kidding, right? Yeah, brother, so you know they're not totally evil. They're semi-evil. Okay. Anyways, that was what Mary faced. Either Joseph had to take responsibility for the child and the public disgrace of it, because it meant he lost control of himself, or she had to die. But it says that Joseph was a righteous man. That word righteous has a lot of things tied up in it. It also includes a tenderness a mercifulness, because part of God's justice is his mercy. Do you know what I mean? Nobody here has ever sinned, huh? So you don't know what I mean. If you've ever sinned against God in your heart or your mind or your flesh, you know that God's justice brings mercy. It brings forgiveness. It brings restoration. 
The confession of sin is about restoration, not embarrassment. We admit that none of us are what we should be. I am not. You are not. You know how I know you're not what you should be? Because you're still breathing. And if you're human, you're fallible. If you're fallible, you have failed. Can I get an amen from the honest people in the church? Okay, that's the way it is. Now, the interesting thing is it said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what has been conceived in her is by the Holy Spirit. I didn't put this in here, but I'm going to backtrack a little bit. As I was reading the passage, I noticed just a few passages before in Matthew 1, verse 16. You know, Matthew 1 is the whole genealogy of Jesus. It's so-and-so begat so-and-so who begat so A lot of begatten back then. That much begatten doesn't happen today. Thank you, because it's all good. But to begat literally means to be the father of, right? To be the father of. Notice what it says in verse 16 right here. And Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah, the Mashiach, the Christ. What does that not say? It does not say that Joseph begat Jesus. That's why Matthew who was a good Jew, who establishes the genealogy, makes it clear Joseph is not the father because he's going to go down just a couple verses and he's going to explain why Joseph is not the father. Any Jew reading this, and Matthew was written in Hebrew. We know this because in the defense against the Catholic Inquisition, a Jewish rabbi was brought on trial And he presented before the Catholic Church the Gospel of Matthew in Hebrew. And he made his arguments from that text. That's amazing to me. You went to passages, you know how deeply researched the Word of God is. How accurately testified it is. Here it is, right here. It says it all. Joseph faced a hard situation. Do I vindicate myself? And see this woman I love die? Or do I take responsibility for her and the shame and the embarrassment that comes with it? He's having a hard time. He's in shock. Talk about doubt and fear wrapped up together. You're facing a situation that's a no-win situation, Mark. What do you do with that? I'll tell you what you do. Verse 21. He goes on and says, She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. That's Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. We looked at it last week. Through the prophet. See the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son. And they will name him Emmanuel. Which is translated God is with us. Now notice. He lays down with doubt and fear. How does he wake up? When Joseph got up from sleeping, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He didn't question. He didn't reason. He didn't go to 15 trusted friends, nine rabbis, and six on the TV type of TV evangelists who were counselors. He didn't do that. When God revealed it, he said he got up and he married her, but did not know her intimately until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. Guys, That last bit is critical. It is critical. Joseph 
having been blamed already for her pregnancy, had no reason not to consummate his marriage with his wife. Had no reason at all. Everybody assumed he had done it already. Why did he not sleep with his own wife? Because he did not want there to be a question as to the paternity of Jesus. He wanted everyone to know, this is the Son of God, for I have not touched my wife. I have not violated my vows. I have not done what God has said I shouldn't do. That takes incredible strength. But that strength was born out of a moment of doubt and fear. Here's the thing. When you doubt and when you fear and you come face to face with a holy God, your only option is to turn to him or forever run away from him. You understand that, church? When you come face to face with God's claims, Isaiah's prophecy, 600 years at least before the birth of Jesus, it's recorded in the Hebrew. It's translated in the Septuagint. There's no mistake. Ha Parthenos, a virgin, an untouched girl. And then, all these years later, God does exactly what he says he's going to do. Now, you have to deal with that. If it's a doubt and a fear, I, don't, I, I doubt it. How is this going to happen? I'm afraid if I say I believe in the virgin birth, people will think I'm uneducated. They'll think I'm ignorant. They'll think I never went to medical school. Rebecca's a nurse. She knows it's impossible. I told them last week, if a girl comes and says, I'm pregnant, but I've never been touched by a boy, you say what? Sure you do. Yeah, right. Okay. Not medically possible unless God gets involved. Amen? This side of the church is bothering me. Amen? Amen. That's what I thought you said. That's good. Okay. So you have to have faith in God's plans. No matter what you doubt, no matter what you fear, when God speaks into your life, you have to react according to his plan, not what everybody else says you should do. Go on down. Luke 1, 26 through 38. Luke 1, 26 through 38. Not only do you have to have faith in God's plan, you must accept God's gracious gift. This is the greatest gift, church, you will ever receive. It is the absolute, authentic, real revelation of the heart and mind of Almighty God. This word right here, whether it's King James or Holman Christian Standard, this is the greatest gift, the greatest revelation you will ever receive in your life. No man-made wisdom can ever come close. Take a look at it. Luke 1, 26 through 38. Here we go. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel, we've seen him in the book of Daniel already. We know how powerful this brother is. The angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph. We know who he is. Of the house of David, the virgin's name was Mary. That's twice in the same sentence. Are they trying to tell you something? And the angel came to her and said, Rejoice, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement. Let me translate that. Y'all may not know what deeply troubled is. Disturbed and alarmed. Frightened. Have you ever had news that deeply troubled you, disturbed you, frightened you? It shook up your entire world. Nothing made sense in the light of that one moment. What happened in Connecticut was horrible, but it was not 
deeply troubling. You know why? Because I know we live in a sick and perverse world where sick and perverse people do terrible things because they do not know the forgiving, loving, merciful Son of God. Go on with this. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, do not be, there it is, afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. This was an ordinary 15-year-old girl. Ladies, an ordinary 15-year-old girl. She is engaged to be married. Maybe she has 12 months to wait. Maybe she has three months to wait. We don't know at what point in the engagement it was. You are thinking about your life. You are planning to get married. You are planning to go through the ceremony, to leave your parents' home, to begin that life. Your world is set. And something happens to rip your world apart. Something changes your fate forever. And it's a thing that has to scare the life out of you. Because Mary knew exactly what Joseph knew. When you are a virgin, engaged to be married, and someone says, you're pregnant, right there, your life flashes in front of your eyes because you know you're a dead woman. You are a dead woman. Understand what a 15-year-old girl feels like when her whole world ends with a single pronouncement. Meaning an angel is bad enough. Meaning Gabriel's worse. Hearing this news had to shake her up. Verse 31. Now listen. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. This should look a lot like what we studied last week. Those names of Jesus, wonderful counselor, etc. Mary asked the angel, how can this be since I have not been intimate with a man? I know what she was thinking. Her mind raced. This is not possible. I'm still engaged for six months. I have to wait six months. You mean in six months I'm going to get married and have a baby and that baby's going to be special? Is that what you're saying? You can't mean right now because I'm not even married yet. I mean, I'm engaged, but I haven't even been with my husband yet. How can I conceive? So her brain is spinning. Is this, is this down the road? Is this in the future? You can't mean today. It's not possible. I understand her fear. How can this be? Her natural reaction was fear and maybe not doubt, but wonder. John MacArthur says in his commentary of this passage that Mary did not doubt because those who doubted, like Zachariah doubted that John was going to... Yeah, Zachariah got struck dumb. That brother couldn't speak until the kid was born. See, things happen when you doubt God. In case anybody here is thinking about it, things happen to you that are not good. When you doubt God. It may not be that Mary doubted, but she could not get her head around what was about to happen to her. She couldn't even put that into her worldview. Little aside note, church. Don't figure your life out so tightly that you're not ready for God to change your plans. I mean, you may think you're going to Taiwan, but sweetheart, you're going to Washington, D.C. You know, you may think... George Washington University, you might wind up pastoring a broke church in upstate New York. Not that I'm prophesying. I wouldn't do that to you. 
I'm just saying, don't plan your life so tight that you don't give God permission to walk in and change your life. Completely alter your plans. Because guess what? God is a sovereign, holy God. He can do anything he pleases, amen? I mean, I'm not going to argue with the man myself. There it is. But her head was spinning. Her head was spinning. Look at it, verse 35. The angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. This is the great thing about God. He never leaves us hanging out there. He said, consider Elizabeth. Now, Elizabeth is her older cousin, right? This is an older woman. I don't want to say an old woman, but she was an older woman who was past, past those bearing years. She was not even worried about it anymore. You know what I'm saying? She was, if she was living today, she'd be off the pill. That's all I'm saying. So she was done, done, done with that. Consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month. Critical. John the Baptist will be born six months before Jesus. And under Jewish law, Jewish right, Jewish custom, John is superior to Jesus because he's six months older. Yet when John says, I must decrease, he must increase, he is greater than me because he was before me. That's why people couldn't figure it out. Wait a minute, John. We know your cousins. You're the older cousin. He's the younger. You're ahead of him. I said, no, uh He was before me, referring to Jesus' place in eternity. This is the sixth month for her who was called childless. You see, Elizabeth may have doubted that God could still do miracles, but God does a lot of things in spite of our doubt. Here it comes. It says this. For nothing will be impossible with God. Look at her reaction. She already couldn't get her head around it. She's already a little fearful. Her mind is racing. What do I do with this? How do I understand this? Look what she says. I am the Lord's slave. She gives up all rights to any say in this decision. Have you guys come to that place in your life yet? Have you come to the place in your life when you are willing to say, I will not fight you, Lord, no matter where you send me, no matter what you ask me to do, change my career plans in college, stay a single man until I get out of college, whatever God's plan is, have you totally surrendered to fulfill God's plan for your life? If you haven't, you need to look at this. I am the Lord's slave, said Mary. May it be done to me according to your word. Then the angel left her. Mary's acceptance of what God had planned was absolute. Mary's acceptance of God's will was complete surrender. Joseph, same way. They faced doubt. They faced fear. They faced a culture that was against them. Yet when God spoke into their life, they both said, so be it, Lord. He got up immediately and married the girl. She got up and said, Lord, do to me Whatever you choose, I give up any right to myself, any right to my life. And both of them, their lives ended that day, and something different was born out of who they were. So my challenge to you today is this. I know you're thinking, wait a minute, your sermons are four hours long, and that's only 20 minutes. We have something special for you today. We have something special to follow this, and that's why I've kind of gone through quickly. But here it is. I want you to reject the two Grinches of Christmas. Reject these Grinches. Look at that face. That is not a good face. 
That's a face I've grown up looking at my whole life. You need to reject these two Grinches. One, doubt and fear made Joseph want to divorce Mary, but faith allowed him to remain and take part in the Christmas miracle. Joseph's only part was to protect Mary, take responsibility, and then raise that child. The courage of a man who can raise somebody else's child, that's an amazing man. That's an amazing situation. That's God's grace poured out. Can I get amen from somebody? That's why Joseph excels, because he stays and does selflessly what God calls him to do. Second, fear and doubt in the moment kept Mary from immediately rejoicing in Gabriel's announcement. But praise God, she quickly moved from doubt to faith and then to rejoicing. Even that little moment began to paralyze her mind. But when she moved past it, she could rejoice. If God is moving in you guys today to do something, to get involved, to participate, don't wait. Don't hesitate. Get involved. Last one. How will you respond to this Christmas? How will you respond this Christmas to the coming of the Christ to earth? You can be a Grinch. You can have doubt. You can have fear. You can refuse to accept what is as plain as the nose on your face. A lot, of, a lot of people back in the day couldn't do that. But the truth is in front of you, people. If you go into passages, you know it. If you don't know it, you need to talk to me, and I will show you from my stuff exactly what they learned in passages. All right, now we have something special from the youngest members of the congregation. So guys, come on out.